Discipleship. All kinds of discussion after last week as we've been asking questions of what is discipleship and what does it look like at Village and how does the, the, the specific view of discipleship, how we grow in, at specific times, how does that relate to a general view of discipleship which, which reflects our entire Christian walk and our entire Christian experience of drawing close to God? I saw a story this week that I thought was just really, really illustrated discipleship really well. A, a man got a 19-foot jet boat. Anyone here have boats? You're, if so, let me know. And we'll, no, uh, got a 19-foot jet boat. Um, invited another friend along, and they decided for the maiden voyage to go out on the North Fork of the the Snake River. Now there was a drought, and so the river was down a little bit, and so you had to be careful and. And so they're, they're being careful and they, they ease the throttle until they finally get going across the surface about 35 miles an hour. And suddenly they hit a sandbar. And boom! Boat stops. And they get out of the boat and they're in about an inch of water. And if you've been in a boat, an inch of water is typically not enough. <laughs> and the boat is just stuck. And, and for the next three hours, another boat comes up alongside. The next three hours, they're digging out the sand, and they finally push this boat back into the water. And, and the other boater said, you know, I know the river really well. I know the river really well, so it, I'll get you back to the landing if you just follow me. Just stay right behind me. And, and the, the first boat said, sure, that sounds great. And they're going along, skimming back to the landing. And um, the second boat's following right behind the first boat and just sort of loses concentration and, and really doesn't see the importance of it as much and just veers off a couple feet to the right. Boom! A gravel bar. And his friend hits his head against the windshield because the boat just stops abruptly. The first boat comes along back, circles around, says, you know what? I told you to follow me. I told you to follow me. If you had stayed in the path I was going, you would have been fine. What a great picture of discipleship. Because as we talked last week and as we looked at definitions of discipleship, we saw that discipleship, the, the word in the Greek literally means to imitate or to follow, to come alongside and to, to copy what someone else is doing. And we know that ultimately, as disciples of Christ, we're to imitate God. We're to imitate Jesus Christ and follow Him. But then in the process of discipling, which he commands us to do, we're then to imitate Jesus so well that someone else can watch us. And someone else can see us and we're a mirror that points to Jesus. And by, by imitating us, they are imitating Christ with the ultimate goal for them to imitate Christ. And then the boating example, the first boat was leading the way back to the landing. And the second boat, all they had to do was imitate. All they had to do was copy but they just got off track a little bit and boom, wrecked the boat again. As we are in discipleship, we are called to imitate Christ. You see in your notes some of the, the points from last week as we looked over a, a biblical overview of discipleship, some of the biblical examples and biblical definitions, and five main points that we made last week. Our mandate is to accomplish God's mission, to make disciples. We saw that out of, out of Matthew 28. And mandate is used there very intentionally. It's not a suggestion. It is the command that God left His church and every disciple in His church. Go make disciples. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Another point that we we saw last week out of Scripture is that every believer is a disciple. Discipleship isn't some sort of super believer. Every believer is a disciple. It's just an issue of whether we are still an infant disciple or whether we're moving toward maturity. Third point we, we made last week is every disciple is to reproduce. We're to disciple others. It's not an option. Every disciple is to reproduce. Fourth, discipling is always in the context of relationship. In fact, the, the, the word that we saw for disciple means to copy, but it's always in the context of some sort of connection between the two people, between the one discipling and the disciplee. And finally, out of the example of Barnabas and John Mark, we saw discipleship is often part of the restoration process. It's part of the growth process, whether or not the person is in a perfect state or not. It's part of the growth process. And so this morning we come to, what does that look like? And today I want to look at what a disciple looks like. What is the goal? And and some practical ingredients to get to that goal Next week, I want to say, okay, how do we put that in practice, into practice at Village? In our context, how do we put it into practice? But I want to start by asking a question. About half of you last week said you had been discipled. When you were discipled, what elements or what parts of that discipleship helped you grow the most? What did that person do that really impacted you? Relationship. Getting involved in your life. Accountability. Accountability. Consistency. Consistency. Love. Love. Shared experiences. experiences. Demonstrated by example. Demonstrated by example. Encouragement to get deeper in the word and memorize scripture. I'm getting chills because you guys are describing discipleship. This is amazing. Anyone else? Those are all ingredients to discipleship. As we think about ingredients today, we're thinking about both the broad view of discipleship, what it takes to bring someone to maturity in Christ that encompasses everything we do as a church, but then narrowing that down to the individual discipling relationships and showing how some of the ingredients of discipleship, essential to discipleship, can only happen in one-on-one, one-on-a-few relationships. Sitting in church doesn't give us the full view of discipleship. There's more that God intended. I need a volunteer this morning. Someone that is hungry. (laughs) You have a baby sleeping on you. (laughs) It has to be someone that comes to me. So we'll, we'll, we'll let Connor sleep a little bit more. Okay, Amanda, come on up. How come nobody wants to volunteer? I, I was talking with worship team earlier, and they're like, I am not going to volunteer for you. And I, I'm a nice guy. Okay, come on up. We have a couple cakes up here. I don't know if you can see, see, see some cakes. <laughs> I did not make them. <laughs> So that's important in discipling is you want someone that can do it to teach you. (laughs) 
So I did not make these. Those of you that know me know my skills do not include kitchen skills. Um, and so, do you, want, do you want to take a couple bites of a piece for me? <laughs> It'll be fine. Okay. Let me cut you a piece of this one first, okay? Just a little piece. Okay, take a bite while you're doing that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> See, you could have had free cake. <laughs> okay, so far so good. Do you want to take another bite? Okay, you can keep your fork. Take a bite of that one. I don't like your tone of voice. <laughs> Smell it? There is nothing weird added to it. I promise you, there's nothing weird added to it. Kind of flat. How does it taste? It's missing something. The icing is good. <laughs> the, the icing's the same on both. So, um, so not a cake that you need a big bite of or a, a big piece of. Okay, but this one, mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. We 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 actually made a couple of those at home, and the other one's half gone already. We made two of these at home, and the other one's not touched yet. <laughs> um, for, thank you very much. Give Amanda a hand for for humoring me. <laughs> Two cakes. They look the same. In fact, they have mostly the same ingredients. They both have flour. I, I can't really imagine making a cake without flour. They both have milk. Let me make sure I have my list of ingredients here that Susie gave me. They both have some baking powder. But the one on the right, interestingly enough, it, it's just missing a few things. You know, you're, you're making something in the kitchen, and you're making a cake, and maybe you're out of some things. Well, why not just make the cake anyway? And so really, do you need sugar? <laughs> so the one on the right has no sugar. Is that a problem? Maybe left out an egg, too. Maybe left out vanilla. And maybe left out butter. But the rest of the ingredients are the same. Why don't they taste the same? Because they're not the same. There are essential ingredients missing. And this morning where I want to go in, in the next half hour as quickly as we can is saying, what are the essential ingredients of discipleship? Because what happens in the church is we call a lot of things discipleship that are, on the, that are the cake on the right that are missing ingredients. And we appease ourselves saying, I'm discipling, I'm in a discipling relationship. And in reality, we've left out the sugar, or we've left out the eggs, or we've left out the vanilla. And we're left with this cake that, quite frankly, doesn't taste very good. I did have some of it last night before I, I asked someone else to do it. When Susie was making the batters, Alicia wanted to lick the spoon after it was all done, you know, how, how we all do, and she licked this one. She's like, ooh, that's icky! But which view of discipleship do we want? Do we want one that tastes, tastes good, accomplishes its purpose, or do we want one where we're leaving out some, some really essential ingredients and not accomplishing the goal? Two things we have to look at this morning. Number one... 
we have to look at what should a cake look like. If you had never had cake before, and I convinced you this is what a cake tastes like, now probably you would never have cake again, but you wouldn't realize there's missing ingredients. And so we want to look scripturally at what is the goal? What is a disciple? What is discipleship? And then what ingredients get us there? So turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we'll start by saying, what are marks of a true disciple? What are the marks of a true disciple? And this can be a huge topic. You could go to all of Scripture and come up with what a true disciple looks like. And so this morning, I tried to narrow it down to just five marks found in John 15 and, and say as Jesus taught His disciples, He taught specific things of what discipleship was. So those help us know what He was looking for in a disciple. What marks are abiding of a disciple. If you go in my house, you see at about this height all kinds of handprints. Maybe on the, the slider, maybe on the wall. And, and there's two ways of looking at handprints. One is, I can't believe they're messing up my perfect, pristine house. Or as a parent of young children, you can realize there is no such thing as the fable of a perfect and pristine house. And that's a mark that says my kids were here. The kids that I love were here. An enduring mark that says I was here. So what marks say a disciple was here? What marks show that someone is truly a follower of Christ? We'll be looking at John 15, starting at verse 5. Before I even read it, though, I want to start by saying these are marks of a disciple. And the only way that we can pursue these, the only way that we can expect these in someone's life is if they are a disciple. If they have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. And so these are marks of a believer. If you're here today and you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and never put your faith in Him and, and asked Him for forgiveness of your sins, then this list isn't for you. Because you'll just be trying at something you can't do on your own. But this morning you can come to Christ and you can start the discipleship journey. And these marks can start to define who you are. But let's look. And I'd like to just start by reading, starting at verse 5. And then we'll go back through and pull out some different principles. Jesus is talking to His disciples here. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. 
These things I command you so that you will love one another. It's in a section where Jesus is teaching what it means to be a disciple. Teaching what it means to follow Him. And the first point, the first mark of a true disciple that we want to look at is a disciple abides in Christ and in His Word. A disciple abides in Christ and in His Word. Did you see how many times the word abide was in that passage? Over and over. And we've talked about the word abide before, but but the meaning there is to live with or to dwell with or to be with. Okay, It's not, oh, I live under the same house and I never talk to the person. That's not abiding. That's just under the same roof. But but the word for abide implies a, a deep relationship where you're with somebody, where you're walking life with somebody. If you think through a marriage, our, our wives want us to abide with them, right? It, it would be, they just wouldn't like it if we walked in, said, hi, I'll talk to you in the morning. In the morning we say, good morning, bye. And, and we just say a couple, now that's not abiding. And we, we get that in terms of marriage because we would never say that's a relationship. But here the word abide implies a deep communication, an intimacy, a living life together in union with each other. Now keep that in mind as we see how Jesus is using the word abide. In verses 5-7, through I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, dwells with me, is, is in union with me, and I in him which just blows my mind that the God of the universe is willing to be in relationship with me. He's willing to abide with me. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jumping to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. First mark of a true disciple is that we abide with Christ and in His Word. We enjoy Him. We live with Him in relationship with Him. A couple of of blanks I put in there of what abiding means. Abiding means relationship. It's part of the definition. You see that relationship as well in in verse 7 where it talks about prayer. Ask and it will be done, done for you. Verse 16 where again... It's talking about prayer. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. And, and prayer is part of abiding because it's part of relationship. It's part of talking. It's part of sharing. A true disciple will have a commitment to prayer and a commitment to that relationship with Christ. A true disciple we also saw in verse 7 will have a commitment to God's Word. A disciple abides in Christ and in His Word. If I'm abiding with my wife again, and if I love my wife, then, then, and she writes something, what she writes takes on new importance, doesn't it? it? It takes on great importance because it's from someone that I love. And in the same way, as we draw into relationship with Christ, as we, we draw into a love relationship, we become students of His Word. Keep your finger in John 15 and flip back to John 8. John chapter 8. We'll spend a lot of time in John today. As John gives us a a manual on what a disciple looks like. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Did you catch the if then? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you love my word, if you dwell in my word, if you crave my word. See, discipleship is learning how to live out God's word. Learning how God's Word applies to everyday life. How it applies to the boss that I can't stand. How it applies to the frustrations. How it applies to stress. And taking all of those things and applying it. And realizing God's Word and His truth is the answer. See, a disciple tries to mimic Christ. And so we look to His words for how to live life. So as we abide, the question is how serious are we about God's Word? The John 8 passage goes on, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? What's he talking about? They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And and where John is going with this is saying, if you want victory over sin, if we want to, to see freedom from sin, it comes from loving God's Word and being in it. That's why when we're struggling with a particular sin, whatever it may be, to go and memorize God's Word and memorize verses that deal with that sin is one of the most effective things we can do. If you have an anger problem, start memorizing verses on anger and see what God's Word does. Because a disciple abides in God's Word. Third aspect of abiding there, abiding means obedience, but out of love. Abiding means obedience out of love. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we see that we're to baptize disciples, bring them in, to the faith, bring them into a public declaration of their faith, and then teach them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And there's there's an implication there that if we're to teach, we have to know God's Word and what it commands. But then we're also to help them apply it, to put it into practice, to obey it. Within that obedience, we see the spiritual disciplines. We see memorizing God's Word as something we are to do. We see a strong devotional life. We see giving to the church and being faithful in that. These are issues of obedience that God wants His disciples to do, but out of love. See, as we come and as we abide with Christ, our, our, our hearts will grow to love Him and we can't help but want to give Him our all. C.S. Lewis describes this exchange. He describes this process by saying, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it, stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. And in that quote, Lewis is is illustrating how Jesus wants to come and destroy our natural self, replace it with a heart 
that is abiding with Him and sold out for Him. And finally, the last aspect of abiding there is abiding is costly. Abiding is costly. It means denying self. Luke does, does a wonderful job throughout the book of Luke of showing how discipleship always costs something. And we should count the cost. It's not easy. So many times we, we tell people that Christianity is easy and, and it's, it's the, the free trip to heaven. And, and in, in one sense, salvation is free and that is true. But a disciple, someone that is called by God, may be called to give up quite much. Luke 9, verse 23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Abiding is costly, but it is worth it because it is replaced by an intimate relationship with God. An intimate relationship with God. There was a man, a businessman, that had recently become a Christian. And as he was studying what it meant to be a disciple, what it meant to be a Christian, he realized that this decision might be costly. He came to his pastor and told him about what he was facing. He says, you know what? In business, I've been doing some price fixing with some of my so-called competitors. He went on to tell his pastor about rigging bids and how he and his friends were profiting from all of this. He said, we've been putting competitors out of business by keeping them from getting the big jobs. And he confessed. And he's in this dilemma because he says, now that I'm a Christian, I can't do that anymore. I've told them I can't do it. But they say that if I squeal, then they will get the law on me because they've been collecting evidence of my involvement. They also told me if I stop doing it, if I drop out, they'll put me out of business as well. So there's no win. His only option to keep his business was to continue to lie. He found out that discipleship was costly. He was convinced that his business practices went against God's Word. He was convinced that he should abide in God's Word. And so he stopped. And he no longer went along with his friends' schemes. And in this case, they were true to their word. And they put him out of business. And he went broke. Tough decision. But in the end, he chose a discipleship relationship with God over personal gain. Are we satisfied with just nominal Christianity and fake discipleship? Or do we want to abide? A true disciple abides with Christ and in His Word. It's committed to obeying it no matter the cost. Second point of a disciple there is a disciple loves as Christ loves. A disciple loves others as Christ loves. First point, Abiding in Him has to do with spiritual growth. This point has to do with community and building community. If you look at it back in John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jumping to verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Flip back just a couple pages to John 13, 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. The commandment that was given during Passion Week. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So how did Christ love us? He gave His life for us. How are we to love others? With our whole selves. But verse 35, if we want to view ourselves as disciples, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And again, we see God combining discipleship with loving each other. The two are inseparable. We can't come angry at people. We can't hold grudges at people. We can't come and and just despise people in the body of Christ and call ourselves disciples. Because that is contrary to what it means to walk with God and abide with Christ. We're to grow in love for each other. Not be abrasive, but be encouraging. To do this requires relationships. As you mentioned your ingredients of discipleship, so many of you mentioned relationships and caring and time spent. Well, the only way to love each other is in relationships. See, love requires actions. Love isn't just about words. Love requires actions. And if I'm not in a place where I can do anything with my love, if I'm not in a place where I can show someone I love them, then then my love is in question. To love one another, we have to be with one another. We have to spend time with each other. We have to be in relationship with each other. Our actions have to show it. You can tell a friend, yeah, I love you. I'm here for you. And if you never spend time with them, and if you never listen to them, and if you never encourage them, they'll look at you and laugh. Say, I don't believe you. A disciple loves others as Christ loves. Community. Third point, a disciple bears fruit. A disciple bears fruit. And this has to do with ministry and outreach. In John 15 again, look at verses 8 and 9, and then verse 16, but we'll start at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified. How is He glorified? That you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. See the connection again that Jesus is making. If you are my disciples, the proof is that you're bearing fruit. And so our goal of a disciple, the goal that we're shooting for is to bear fruit. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Disciples bear fruit. Just as a fruit tree, when it's healthy, when it's growing, will bear fruit, so a disciple will bear fruit. I can remember many a tree that Dad tore out of our backyard growing up because it didn't bear fruit. 
Disciples bear fruit. What kind of fruit do they bear? Three different things that I'll just skim through. Number one, the fruit of the Spirit. You can look up Galatians 5.22-26. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. As we are disciple, as we grow in discipleship, our character becomes more Christ-like. And that's fruit. Secondly, what it means to bear fruit is to reproduce other disciples, sons and daughters in the faith, to bring up others. In Matthew 28, 18 and 19, go therefore and make disciples. It's, it's part of discipleship that Jesus has built into it. As we look throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see fruit mentioned by Paul as the converts, as the disciples that he has made. If we bear fruit, we need to have a desire to disciple others, to reproduce ourselves, to care about the lost. And finally, the last item of fruit is ministry or good work. Ministry or good work. Colossians 1.10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And as we serve with our spiritual gifts, as we minister in the church, as we help in Awana and, and, and change the diapers in nursery and teach a Sunday school class, or just invite people over to build fellowship in the body, we are bearing fruit. We are ministering. It's part of bearing fruit. Two other marks of a true disciple. Number four, a disciple glorifies the Master above all else. A disciple glorifies the Master above all else. Verse 8 in John 15, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We can go to the other, the other passages we've studied before when we talk about the glory of God. And whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. A disciple glorifies the Master above all else. And fifth, out of verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Mark of a true disciple is that we have His joy. We have His joy because as we abide with Him, we trust Him. And joy comes from trusting in God that God has it in control and I don't have to. So a true disciple has joy. But what's interesting is through these marks of a disciple... Through the five that we've talked about, abiding in Christ and His Word, we see one of our core values as a church of spiritual growth. When we think of loving others as Christ loves, we see our core value of community. When we see bearing fruit, we see our core value of ministry and outreach, reproduction. All of that for the purpose of glorifying God. And so when we think of what we're to be about as a church, that's why those four things are our core values. Because that's what it means to be a disciple. That's what Christ is looking for. The last list you have there is just an outgrowth of what we just talked about. Okay, so what ingredient? If that's our goal, if those are the marks of a true disciple, then anything we do to disciple somebody should be moving us toward that direction, right? If this is the cake that we want, we probably should use the ingredients that make this cake. If we leave out ingredients, we have this tasty thing over here that you're welcome to try afterward. So what eight ingredients do we have out of this list? And we'll go through these pretty quickly. 
And it's helpful to think of them in terms of raising children. We have a lot of babies here, young children, which we naturally think of when we think of reproduce. I'm fine with that because it helps us understand discipleship. First essential element of a discipleship relationship, of a discipling relationship, the study of God's Word and how it applies to life. The study of God's Word and how it applies to life. Children must be fed. They must be fed. What's great about small discipleship groups, one-on-one or one-to-a-few, is it allows you to target God's Word and say, okay, what, what do we need to study that is what you need to hear, what I need to hear? But an effective discipling relationship must be based on God's Word. See, there's all kinds of things that I see in the church where we call things discipling relationships. And maybe I go to lunch with somebody, or maybe people get together for breakfast, which is all fine. It's, it's good. It's building relationship. But if we don't include these ingredients, don't call it a discipling relationship. Just call it a friendship, which is part of it. But without God's Word... If I never talk about God's Word with someone I'm getting together with, am I discipling them of how to walk with God? No. God's Word and the truth of God's Word must be part of it. It's an essential ingredient. Number two, real mutual accountability. Children must be trained, right? They need to be told when they've, they've done something wrong. Corrected. Real mutual accountability speaking God's truth into each other's lives in love. This is one of the ingredients that can only happen in a small discipling relationship, I'm convinced, where we come alongside and say, so how are you doing? So you you said you wanted to love your wife and and show her that this week. What did you do? Oh, don't, don't don't get personal. I can remember, and I've told this story before, but I remember meeting with John Nelson regularly, and, and he would ask me how my wife was doing and how I was treating my wife. And then he had the nerve to go ask her. <laughs> now that's real mutual accountability. And if we don't have that in our relationships, we're, we're missing in an ingredient of discipleship. We have something that may be edible, but it's not all that's intended for discipleship. Some, some men, some various groups of men have followed seven questions that they ask each other when they get together for discipleship. Have I been with a woman in the past week that could be viewed as compromising? Have all my financial dealings been filled with integrity? Have I viewed sexually explicit material? Have I spent adequate time in Bible study and prayer? Have I spent quality time and given priority to my family? Have I fulfilled the mandates of my calling? Have I just lied to you? Those are the kinds of questions that accountability is made of. And serious accountability that when someone blows it, we say, you blew it. I'll help you back, but it's not okay. Let's repent, let's seek forgiveness, and let's fix this. Again, that kind of accountability rarely happens if we just come on Sunday morning and sit here. It takes relationship. Third essential ingredient to effective discipling relationships, serious prayer for each other. Serious prayer for each other. Children must be protected. When I think of my children and protecting them, physical protection, but spiritually praying for them. And we're talking the calloused knee variety of prayer. 
not just a quick one that we shoot up as we're driving in. Serious intercession that says, I am committed to pouring my heart out in prayer for you and doing spiritual battle at your side because you are not alone. We see that in abiding with Christ as we have relationship with Him and pray and develop attitudes of prayer. Fourth essential ingredient, personal involvement in each other's lives. Transparent relationships. Transparent relationships. Children must be cared for. They must be loved. As I said, the word for disciple implies a fellowship between master and disciple. In our case, it's not always master and disciple. It can be a mutual thing, but there is always relationship. See, if we think of discipleship as just a program, something we do, then it's just focused on knowledge and a checklist. But discipleship is a culture we want to create here, not a program. And it focuses on relationship and caring for each other. And we know from the disciples and Jesus and the the disciples that that's messy. The disciples blew it. I don't know whether you ever caught that in the book of Mark as we studied it. The disciples didn't get it sometimes. They fled. They abandoned Jesus. They fell asleep when He asked them to pray. They didn't understand His road to the cross. And you know what's amazing? He made them disciples. And He used them to disciple others. It gives me hope. It gives me hope. See, discipleship is caught in relationship. I don't always remember how much is caught until the other day we were coming to the table for dinner and a couple of my kids started grabbing stuff out of the just little pieces from the dish that Susie put down. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. We, we haven't sat down yet. We haven't prayed. And, and just, just hold your horses. Then as I sit down, I grab a little piece and eat it. I realize I do that almost every time. Just, you know, a little piece. discipling my kids. They're imitating me. They're imitating me. That's what relationship does. And so relationship allows people to imitate what it means to walk with God. Last four, just real quickly. Commitment. An essential ingredient of discipleship is a commitment. We'll talk more about these next week when we say how we're going to put them into practice. But if I'm in a discipling relationship with you, I have to be committed to it. I have to be serious about it. Count the cost. Children are not to be abandoned. Six, enjoyment. We mentioned a true disciple. One of the marks is is abiding in the joy of the Lord. And there should be enjoyment. There should be joy. A discipling relationship enjoys each other and has fun together. Seven, discipling relationships need to include the aspect of service. Service. Thinking outside of ourselves. Children need to be taught that the world doesn't revolve around them. And in discipleship, humans have to be taught that the world doesn't revolve around them. And so we serve. One of the most effective ways to disciple in amongst all these ingredients is to include an aspect of who are we going to serve? Who are we going to serve? And as we serve side by side with all of these other ingredients, we have an awesome cake. And we're not leaving things out. The eighth essential ingredient of discipleship is that it must always include the goal of reproduction. The goal of reproduction. When you parent, the goal is for your kids to become adults and be able to do this again with their children. 
Same is true spiritually. If I'm discipling someone, the goal is for them to reproduce, for me to pour into their lives, and then when we're done, not that it ever really ends, but the official part of it, they then pour into other people's lives, and we reproduce in the church. Eight essential ingredients of discipleship. Next week, how do we put that into practice? How does that fit within our church service, within community groups, within discipling relationships, within Sunday school? How does all that work together to form a discipleship mentality that encompasses all of those ingredients? I'm excited about what God is doing as I hear people talking about discipleship. I end with the same thing I ended last week. Do you have two people that you're praying for? Do you have two people that you're praying for? Make sure you do. Be praying for them. And we'll see what God does. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, I pray that we would be a people that would be about the whole cake. All of the ingredients. That we would take what you have said a disciple looks like and be intentional as a church about recreating that, about reproducing that, about training toward that end. Lord, I pray that you would release our church body to invest in each other's lives and in so doing, learn ourselves to be disciples. I pray that you do a mighty work through village. In Jesus' name, amen.